Chapter Eighteen of *The Ghost Girl* by Henry Kitchell Webster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eighteen: A Question of Centimeters. Barton tried impatiently to shake off his hands. It's no use talking to me like that. I've been out of my head once or twice tonight, but I'm not now. I've told you the truth, every word of it literal truth i know you have said jeffrey i could check up most of it but you didn't kill the woman you know as irene fournier your wife thinks you did and she confessed to save you miss meredith thinks she killed her killed claire meredith that is who i believe to be the same person and you you think that you killed her but you're all wrong what are you talking about said barton didn't i fire a revolver at her didn't i see her die under my eyes you were standing with your back against the door said jeffrey when you fired at her she was sitting in front of the dressing-table on a low stool her right side was toward you wasn't it she hadn't moved hadn't turned toward you when you fired barton shook his head dumbly you fired only once barton nodded your bullet said jeffrey carried away a corner of the mirror support and buried itself in the plaster of the wall irene's revolver wouldn't have had penetration enough to do that if the bullet hadn't entered her body first and sitting where she was she couldn't have intercepted it how do you know that was the revolver i fired said barton because you carried it away with you said jeffrey you had it in your hand when you frightened the servant in the hall and it was in your pocket when your wife found it besides if you'd shot her with an automatic thirty-eight the bullet would have left its marks somewhere else jeffrey gave that a minute to sink in and then he went on again why was it that irene appeared that first night when you were in the room you know the reason she was afraid of crow she wanted a hold on crow that your knowledge of the game would give her she wanted two people to play off against each other and you and crow served her purpose she couldn't have feared crow without reason and she wouldn't have taken you into the game unless she had feared him but in spite of her fear she played the game recklessly evidently she thought that night that she had it in her own hands otherwise she wouldn't have tried to trap you when you fired at her you missed she was quick-witted enough to do the one thing that would keep you from firing again pretend that she was hit the fact that she was already made up white to look like a ghost made the trick easier to play but she might have played it better she acted like an opera tenor made the conventional gesture clapped her left hand to her breast in spite of the fact that it was her right side that was exposed to you but the trick worked you weren't in a condition to think about details you couldn't get out the door you had come in by because crow was holding it on the other side now what happened after you had gone out crow came in you had played straight into his hands he must have wanted desperately to get her out of the way when would he have a better opportunity to do it than just after you left 
thinking you had killed her yourself your revolver was lying on the chiffonier but i don't think he noticed it if he had he'd probably have killed her with it instead of with his own how do you know he didn't kill her with it i asked assuming that you are right about everything else how can you be sure of that why said jeffrey i have taken the trouble to read the full report of the inquest a thing that even barton has neglected to do the bullet was found in the body and it was a thirty-four he turned back to barton i suppose you'd had enough of the crime without reading about it he said i dare say i'd have felt that way myself but if anything is true in the world barton it's that the man who killed irene fournier was the man who followed you up that passage intending to kill you and if that man was crow then crow was the murderer there was a silence after that gwendolen broke it he must have killed her without giving her time to finish dressing because the bodice itself wasn't penetrated by the bullet he must have dressed her himself afterward why do you suppose he did that i imagine said geoffrey that for some reason a good deal hung on that last appearance irene meant to make she told barton here you remember that the game would be played that night finished she probably meant to play it her way refused to play it crows somehow or other i imagine that her body dead and cold and white clad in its satin gown was used once more to terrorize crow's victim and then this is pure guesswork you know after he had carried her back and laid her on the bed in the hidden room waiting for the dark of another night to finish his work and hide the traces of it he started out for a walk perhaps just at dawn and he found barton there unconscious how he got him into the house i don't know he's strong enough i think to have carried him in bodily or whether he roused him and walked in and then drugged him into a deeper unconsciousness afterward i don't know however he did it that one discovery gave him his chance whatever happened he would be fortified by the irresistible presumption in barton's mind that barton himself was the murderer i can hardly believe it yet said barton i can see her still just as she looked there on the floor she looked like death and why he stopped there and seemed to be wrestling with a question he found it hard to ask finally he got it out if i didn't kill her then what has she got against me now why did she appear to me to-night in the house there was something in the simple almost childlike way in which he asked the question that embarrassed us a little me anyway and i think geoffrey too for he changed the subject rather abruptly why did you go back there barton you said you wanted to get the goods on crow i don't know just what i wanted he said i knew he had some papers that he kept locked up pretty carefully in a steel uniform case i took a wax impression of the lock the last day i was there i didn't know what he had but i felt pretty sure there was something i made the key at home when i hadn't anything better to do i made sure there was no one in the house to-night miss meredith and her companion had gone back i found that out at oldborough and they said crow hadn't been down for some time i knew the caretaker slept in the gardener's cottage 
so i thought it a good chance to go and see what my key would unlock well you're rather a reckless burglar i think said geoffrey lighting up crow's wing of the house under those conditions i didn't said barton i used a pocket torch weren't you rather startled asked geoffrey when you heard the automobile driving in i didn't said barton an automobile passed me on the way out to beech hill none came into the grounds while i was there i could see from geoffrey's face that he was puzzled and the quality of his voice showed it too when he asked the next question what did you do tell us exactly what you did forced a window on the first floor and got in said barton went down the corridor and let myself into the east wing of the house that was crow's and he always kept it locked i found his box and went to work my key needed a bit of retouching before i could get it open on top of the things in the box was a photographic plate wrapped up in paper i shone my torch through it and it looked like a photograph of irene i didn't want that so i put it aside and began picking at the papers a photographic plate said geoffrey not a photograph no a plate i let my torch shine through it she was dressed in white satin like in the portrait what did you do with it geoffrey asked i don't know he said i don't know much that happened after that because just then i heard the creak of a door and saw a light and jumped up i thought someone was coming i tell you i was ready for that i shouldn't have made a fool of myself for crow or anyone else i knew just where i meant to go how i meant to get away but then i looked up and saw her his face was white now white as it had been when he came bursting in upon us in the long room where the lightning showed him to us his voice had fallen to a whisper it was irene herself come back she stood there holding a candle shading it from her eyes with her hand but i saw her face staring at me wide-eyed frightened like out of the dark dressed in white asked geoffrey steadily he was the only one of us who could manage his voice like that dressed in white as you had always seen her and with her hair done the same way barton shook his head i don't know i don't think so i didn't see any white just her face and the hand that shaded the candle she made a little noise in her throat and at that i began running i don't know where i went i got lost in the passages and when the lightning showed where i was i was in the room where i had killed her there was another silence broken at last by geoffrey and the strangeness of what he said fairly made me gasp a photographic plate he said thoughtfully his narrowed eyes were looking out at nothing in the intensity of his concentration to barton's terrifying vision he wasn't apparently giving a thought i'd like to see that i wish you had it here at that moment there came a thundering knock at the door and without waiting for an invitation to enter richards burst in upon us 
the open door hid the bed and for a moment he didn't see barton but the sight of jeffrey seemed to be enough to finish him well he said grimly you aren't the man i'm looking for but i guess you'll do you've butted in on the police just once too often and running off with an automobile is no joke put on your coat and come along i'd have got my man if it hadn't been for he had got a little farther into the room by then and he caught his first glimpse of the rest of us including gwendolen she was a negligee rather she's very pretty that way and it was the sight of her really that prevented him from noticing barton on the bed for he stopped short and caught his breath and backed up a little excuse me he said oh that's all right said gwendolen we're very glad you've come we are indeed geoffrey corroborated politely as for our butting in you'd never have got your man richards unless perhaps out of the river a couple of weeks from now somebody else would have got him first we saved him for you we're glad you've come to claim him for we didn't know quite what to do with him as he concluded he nodded toward the bed where barton lay richards looked and gasped where did you find him he demanded instead of answering geoffrey spoke to barton jail's the safest place for you until we get through with this business go along with richards keep your head and don't worry i'll let you know how things come out i suppose according to your theory he doesn't even know what he's wanted for said richards the sight of barton had restored his good humour immediately on the contrary geoffrey answered coolly he's been under the impression all along that he had killed irene fournier himself he has told us all about it i've just been trying to convince him that he was mistaken mistaken richards roared and then stood staring speechless i've seen some nuts in my days but you're the prize i've got to hand it to you convince him that he's mistaken he stepped out into the corridor and nodded to two detectives who were waiting there come in he said i've got barton barton seemed to agree with geoffrey that jail would be the best place for him though i doubt if he was much better convinced of his mistake than richards himself he got up stiffly and i picked up his coat to help him into it as i did so i noticed something in one of the side pockets barton said i isn't that the plate he pulled it out and looked at it it was a flat heavy oblong object wrapped in tissue paper i must have put it in my pocket without knowing he said and handed it over to geoffrey here said richards you can't do that send barton along with your men and wait a minute said geoffrey from the quiet authority of his tone he might have been a police commissioner richards hesitated an instant then gave a confirmatory nod to his men barton went out quietly between them well demanded richards as i closed the door behind them just a minute geoffrey repeated he tore the paper off the plate and stared at it rather blankly there was claire meredith in her white satin gown posed just as she had been in the portrait 
that french photographer must have sent him the plate as well as the print i commented i wonder why he did that jeffrey pulled a little steel measuring tape out of his pocket and began very carefully measuring the plate richards shifted his feet uneasily jeffrey's nonsense always worried him but by the look in my friend's face there was no nonsense about this he shut up the tape absently and put it in his pocket then went on staring at the negative he was holding it slantwise now so that the light reflected instead of shining through i shall never forget the expressions that crossed his face doubt at first and then surmise and then a sort of wide-eyed incredulous certainty the rest of us were hardly breathing and at last even richards was gazing at him in involuntary fascination it's not a french plate he said at last more to himself than to the rest of us it measures in inches not in centimetres richards uttered a grunt of disgust is that all you've kept me waiting for what does it matter whether it measures in yards or in courts it's not all said geoffrey and his voice rang like a bell it's not all but it's enough it's a photograph of irene isn't it asked richards yes it's a photograph of irene fournier then he caught his breath but we've got to be quick he said he laid down the plate and began struggling into his overcoat you'll come with us he said to richards it was meant for a question but the urgency of it made it sound more like an order where to to beech hill you've got a motor-boat we can go in that it's shorter by river than it is by road what do you want to go there for there's no one there but dr crow and he'll most likely have gone back to bed by this time and how do you know i've got a motor-boat there is some one there besides crow said geoffrey somebody who won't be there very much longer then he turned to jack get out your car as quickly as you can take gwendolen with you drive to beech hill wide open we'll be there ahead of you because the riverway is shorter but if through any accident we aren't get into the house don't mind if no one answers make all the row you can and get in it's a life-and-death case jack richards was still hesitating i don't know why in thunder i should go off on a wild goose chase at half-past five in the morning just because a picture of irene fournier measures inches instead of richards said geoffrey did i ever tell you a thing was a fact when it wasn't have i ever started you on a wild goose chase i tell you now that dr crow isn't alone at beech hill or wasn't two hours ago he will be before very long and it's a matter of life and death that we get there first all right said richards come along but i'd like to know how you knew i had a motor-boat End of chapter 18